coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on June 19, 2022, Father's Day, the Father's Heart. Strange thing happened. I had Sunday school, did fine, went and used the restroom, came out, and the world started moving in a different direction. So I'm doing a little bit better now, but my wife says, you're not getting up on the platform. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I had a birthday a week ago, and all of a sudden I feel my age. I don't know <laughs> what it is. Anyway, happy Father's Day. Um, I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. In this, in this chapter, we have probably one of the best known stories that Jesus tells. I got a message from a friend here a couple weeks ago, and he says, Pastor, does the Bible have any fiction in it? All these questions, loaded questions. Anyway, I said yes and no. He said, if you mean fiction by saying, are there stories in scriptures? The answer is yes. Jesus was a good one for telling stories. If you mean that by fiction, was there lies in scripture? No. Other than the ones that are identified as lies. So we come to a story today that Jesus told, and it's a familiar one to us. It is part of a series of three parables in Luke 15. I almost don't even have to tell you the parable. All I have to do is mention it by name, and you will probably know it. The story of the prodigal son. Okay? But the parable, this chapter begins with two other pictures, and all three of them, I believe, talk about the father's heart, even though he doesn't always use the picture of the father until the third one when he talks about the prodigal. The first one has to do with, with lost sheep. And in the first few verses of chapter 15, Jesus is talking to tax collectors and sinners that are all around him. And and as he begins, he begins to tell them this story. And again, it's, it's a story, a parable. And he talks about a person having a hundred sheep and one goes missing and then what does a person do who cares for his sheep? He goes looking for that one until it's found. And he says, if he lost the one, does he not leave the 90 and 9, verse 3, in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, He calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. And then we have one of those great statements about what's going on in heaven. 
And I believe it is the key to this whole chapter here, where he says, just so I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Okay, and I will come back and, and touch on that. So this is the first story, the story of the 90 and 99 and one, and he goes looking for the one, comes back, and he's full of rejoicing over that one who is found. The second parable is similar in nature, but a different context, it is the story of a woman who has 10 coins. And if she loses one coin, and it says, doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Well, around our house, it would have to be Diane because I couldn't find it if it was sitting on the table. But she would go looking for it. And when she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that is lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angel of God over one who repents. And we have that same underlying theme there. The 99 and the one lost sheep. The 10 coins, one's lost and found. And both cases, lots of rejoicing. But the most familiar story to us is the story of the prodigal. Maybe it's because it's longer and there's more details in it. And that having been said, we're not going to explore the whole parable because this is Father's Day. And we're going to focus on the Father. Okay? But you're familiar with the story. There's a man who had two sons, verse 11 and following. It says, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. In that one verse, there's a lot of stuff to unpack there. Because the younger son comes to the father and the fa he comes and he says, Dad, Dad, let me have my inheritance. Basically what he's saying, split, split up your goods let me have my share. I want my share now. Well, even as today, we would say, wait until the, the father passes away. We split up the inheritance then. And so it would be a very unnatural thing for the prodigal son, we call him the prodigal son, then to want that inheritance and take it before dad had, had ever passed away. This wasn't his to claim but it was the father's to give and the father gave it. And that's the first shocking thing that the father then is treating the son to his riches. Did his son deserve it? No, in fact, this would be kind of shocking in the days and times that Jesus was talking to uh, these, as he talks, the tax collectors and sinners as they were all around him, this would be strange for them to hear a story where the father would do such a thing. I mean, the son had no right to ask for it, but the father to actually do it, that's, that's crazy talk. He wouldn't do that. wouldn't do that. But he does it, and he gives it to his, his son, and the son takes off. 
Well, you know what happens from there. If you're familiar with the story, he gathers all he had, takes a journey, goes to a far country. He squanders his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything he had, severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself to one of the citizens of the country who sent to him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing that he would be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. What did the son do with the riches that dad had, had passed on to him? He squandered them. He squandered them. Did he build any friends out of this? No, because when the famine hit, all his friends disappeared and dried up along with everything else. Nobody to turn to. And finally he gets a job. Somebody's You know this dizziness is really getting to me. <laughs> I'm hearing bells now. I'm... Oh, such fun. Anyway, so he squanders his, his riches. He poured it out, shared it. You know, I could see him buying drinks for everybody. And then now that the, the place is dried up, now there's a famine. All those, all those so-called friends had, had withered up and dried up and gone away too. There was nothing for him. And then to add insult, here this nice Jewish boy, because we're speaking in a Jewish context, this Jewish boy gets a job. What is he doing? Taking care of pigs, slopping the pigs. And to a Jew to have to be around an unclean animal, ugh, that, would, that was horrific. And I believe that Jesus put that in the story to show the depth of how far this son had sunk. At this point, the story turns. Happens to be on the next page, too. And he says, and when he came to himself, he finally came to himself and realized his situation. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread and I perish here with hunger? He says, he, says, he was almost there at the slopping pigs and and." using his elbow to get a pig out of the way so he can get at the food that the pigs were eating. And he goes, wait a minute. Even the hired servants eat better than this. And so now he's facing his, his true situation. He's come to a conclusion that what he has done to his father is horrific. And he's come to the conclusion that if he's going to survive, he's got to go come under the care of his father once again. And what, what a terrible situation 
because now he's got to humble himself. He's got to be apologetic. He's got to ask for forgiveness. He's got to do all those things. And he comes up with a game plan. He says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now, the reason for that being printed there for us to read is I believe that he got this in his head and reviewed it over and over and over again. He had prepared this little speech to get, to bring it up and share it with his father. And he wanted to say just the right words, hoping that the father then would show some sort of mercy and pity on him and having just it. Have you ever been in a place where you go, boy, I just wish I had the, just the right words to say to somebody to win the, their heart or when their can their understanding just the right if, if i could just say the right words and he had come up with this game plan now to get in good with the father now i don't believe that he thought he was going to get in good with the father but at least to have access to the father again and he says and so he arose and he came to his father now i want to focus on two Two verses here to start with, or two portions. One in verse 20 here, and then again in 22 through 23. And so the first one is the first insight into the nature of the Father. Well, I wouldn't say the first one, because we've already seen the Father gave up half of his riches to the Son and let him go. And you go, well, that was pretty foolish. He says, no. This was his father's to give, and he gave it. Shows what kind of heart he had. But in, in verse 20, we read, And he rose and came to his father. But, don't you just love that word? Was, you know what but means? Disregard everything before. <laughs> Let's pay attention to what's going to happen now. He says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. On this Father's Day, I want you to think about the Father. The Father is actively looking for the Son. It isn't that he happened to glance up and, oh, here you are. I wasn't looking. I didn't think I'd ever see you again. It wasn't that at all, but just the opposite. He saw him. And when the scripture tells us where he saw him, it says, while he was still a long way off. He's looking for his son. When is the son due to come back? On Wednesday, he didn't know if the son would ever come back, at least in the story form like this. If we put ourselves in that, in that, in that father's place, 
and this son had gone off, when would we expect to see him back? We never see him back. We don't know. Father would go, I don't know when he would come back, if there would ever be a time when he would come back. But what he does is he keeps looking for the son. He keeps looking for the son. And he sees him a long way off. His father saw him and felt compassion. There's an interesting term that is used here to describe the compassion of the father. We talk about our hearts in our culture. And they talked about their guts. We actually do some of that too. You ever have a gut reaction? We might use a phrase like that. Or it just hit me hard in the stomach. Don't really mean that somebody punched us in the stomach, but it just gets us. Well, that's the word that's used in this passage. His father saw his son a long way off and he had a visceral response to the son. He goes, my son, my son. It's the same word that is used in 1 John 3.17. When John later on, who uh, one of his disciples was writing this epistle, and he talks about our care for one another, and this is what it says. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? But while it's translated closes his heart, it's really talking about his gut. He says, how can you see a brother who has need and not be moved by it. How can you not have a response that says, I got to do something about this? But that's the word that Luke uses to describe, and Jesus uses to describe the father in the story. He sees his son. Where does he see him? A long way off. And as he sees him a long way off, he goes, it's my son. It's, it's my son. What does he do? He says, and he ran. The word is used here to describe running is not just moving faster. It is the word that's used by the Greeks to describe someone who has a purpose and a direction and is used to describe often athletic person running for the mark. And what does he see? He says, he sees his son a long way off and he begins to run at him. 
really the story of the prodigal is not so much the story of the son, but the father. The son wasted his goods in lavish spending. There's where we get the idea of the prodigal of lavishness. But what we see here is a lavish father. And he does something totally out of Jewish culture. And we began this chapter by saying he was in the context of what? In verse 1, he says, tax collectors and sinners, they were all drawing around him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. So there was a good eclectic mix here. But all of them had been raised in a Jewish culture, and the Jewish culture would say, this is obscene for a father to do this. Why? Well, what had the son done to the father? The father had been taken advantage of by this younger son. He had been... uh, discounted and said, you know, you're as good as dead to me. That's why I want my inheritance now. And now what do we see? The father running to the son. First of all, the father would never run. (laughs) That was never the thing that a father would do. Even if he had the capability, he wouldn't do that. He wanted something done. He could get somebody else to do it and send messengers or whatever. He wouldn't do it himself. But what a scandal. The father is running to the son. And seeing him a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran. And what did he do? Immediately began to scold him. No. We we know the story that he, he does something completely different. It says he embraced him. That really doesn't capture it. The word literally means to fall upon him. He just surrounded him and enclosed him, pulled him tight. And you go, wait a minute. What job did he just come from? Slopping pigs? And now, here's his son. Everybody who is listening to this story is shocked. Why? What's a father doing? He shouldn't run to him. And if he... Okay, he did that, but now embracing him? That's insanity. I mean, first of all, he stinketh. You know, he doesn't smell good. But after he's also how he's treated his dad, why? Why in the world would the father reciprocate this way? It's insanity. Insanity. And it says, and he 
Manifestio. Maybe you've had the experience when you were younger than an aunt or some distant relative maybe hardly ever seen comes to visit and you're a kid and and mom and dad sort of nudge you in the direction of this aunt or whatever and say, go and give this aunt a hug. Really? No, thank you. You know, and you're hoping to get away with a little peck maybe on the cheek. And then I'm out of here, out of the room, and I've fulfilled my social obligation. That's not what's happening here. The father sees him a long ways off, runs with purpose to him. And when he gets to him, he doesn't break stride, but embraces him like some sort of uh, tackling lineman trying to get a runner and just holds on to him for all he's worth. And then he kisses him. The picture whole picture is one of insanity. Why would a father do that after he's been mistreated so poorly? Why would he do that? <coughs> so then the son, now, remember, he's practiced. So now that uh, he's finally, finally got a moment the son is going to say that practice line. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Does it start to sound familiar? And he says, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But he stops there. How has he been received? All that fear and and angst at maybe how the father would just have nothing to do with him or heap upon him all sorts of guilt and anguish and pain upon him. All of that has already started to dissolve. Look how dad had received him. He doesn't even get out the last line. Would you take me on as a hired worker? He's already seen that that line just isn't going to fit this circumstance. But the father says, and then we have another whole picture about the father. The father says to his servants, be quickly, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. So let's unpack this. The servants now are right there. Why wouldn't they be there? I mean, the father has run. The father never runs. Let's go see what's going on. And as they get close enough, they're sort of embarrassed for the father for what he's been doing to the son, grappling with him and holding him and clutching him near and kissing him. And they're going, whoa. And now he turns to them 
And they're sort of in amazement. And those that are listening to this story are in amazement. And he says to the, he says to the servants, now I've got some work for you to do. First of all, I want you to go get the best robe. Well, obviously, he's not dressed well, but that isn't the point. What's your best outfit? What is your very best outfit? And what occasions do you ever wear it? Well, you wear it on special occasions. You know, and it's usually treated well. You know, it's those suits that end up going to the cleaners. Why? Because, well, they're valuable and you've got some money invested in them and you want to take care of them and those kind of... And the father is saying, go and get my best robe for my son. Shouldn't we wait until he gets the shower or something? No. No. I want him to be clothed with my very best. I love this picture in Zechariah. Joshua is standing before the angel clothed in filthy garments, and the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him, and to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And he said, let them put a clean turban on his head. And they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. What a beautiful picture. That's what's going on here. He's not done. He says, go get the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand. but we're talking about a special kind of ring. You just talked about the best clothes. Now we're talking about a special ring. Or what he's talking about is the family ring, the family crest. Days old, we would call it the signet ring. It was the kind of ring that um, the king gave to Haman and then took from Haman and gave to Mordecai and said, with this ring, you can send a message around the whole of, of my empire and they will know that it comes with the authority of me. So what is the father doing here with his son? He says, get him the ring. The ring. Get the ring. And put it on his finger. Now when that son was. Slopping pigs. <coughs> the furthest thing from his mind. Was ever wearing the best robe. Or wearing dad's. Signet ring. This is the last thing in his mind. But the heart of the father. Is what we're talking about. 
And the father says, go and get the ring. Having got the robe, put the robe on him, put the ring on his finger. And he says, and get him some sandals, some shoes for on his feet. Whatever journey he's been on, let's get him some fresh fresh clothes from, from head to toes. And then he says, and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. So what is the fatted calf? Well, did they know that the sun was coming and so they had prepared? No. What is the fatted calf? All the way through the Old Testament and up until this point, everybody in that was listening in that audience would have known what the fatted calf was. The fatted calf was one that had been set aside. It had been observed. It was made sure that it had no blemish. It had no uh, injury. It had no sickness, no disease. It was a healthy animal who was living a life of luxury, pampered, if you will, because they didn't want it to get cut or, you know, maybe attacked and scraped or any of those kind of things. So, and they would be carefully fed. He wouldn't be out and out in the country to get whatever he would get. He would be hand fed. And the purpose of that fatted calf was so that a person could go to the temple and offer up an offering to God. It would be a choice lamb that now would be sacrificed. Who's it sacrificed for? The son. This is an this is an animal that would have been pictured in the minds of the listeners of this story to be prepared to go to be taken to the temple and offered as a sacrifice to God. And what happens now? He takes this animal that we know is choice in the animals is sacrificed. And he says, let's eat. Kill it and let's eat and celebrate. And the word celebrate is used several times in this passage. This is time for rejoicing. This is a time to be glad. We go, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. This son has done you wrong. You know, there ought to be some sort of uh, feedback to that whole issue, shouldn't there? Let's celebrate. Let's rejoice. Let's be glad. And he tells us the reason why. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. And they began to celebrate. 
earlier on in the previous two stories. Jesus had made note of that. And he says, just as I, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the ninety and nine person, righteous persons who need no repentance. And then what about the coin? He says, just as I, I so I told you, there is joy between the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This story has nothing to do with a prodigal son. This story has everything to do with a sinner and a righteous heavenly father. I'm pondering here, not because I'm dizzy, but because I'm just overwhelmed. He's painting a picture of you and me. And what the Father thinks of you and me. When we come to the realization, as Jesus so succinctly said, he came to his right mind. We finally came to see how things really are. Scripture tells us that in him we live and move and have our being. In him he, he pours the rain on the just and the unjust alike. We are recipients of God's grace all the time, whether we're believers or we're unbelievers. We're living off the riches of the Father. How many of us took for granted our lives and never gave the Father the time of day? And when we finally come to the place, as David said in the psalm, against thee and thee only have I sinned. When we come to that realization and we come humbly with some sort of lying, you know, at least let me into heaven. I, I don't deserve to be called the child of God anymore. I don't deserve that at all. If, if you just could see me escaping hell, the pig pit, and, and, and going to heaven. That would be enough for me. That was the line that the son had. And the father says, nope, I see you afar off. I'm so delighted to see you. I'm running to you. I'm going to throw my arms around you. I'm going to hug you. I'm going to embrace you. I'm going to kiss you. I'm going to get the best robe. I'm going to get the signet ring. You are going to be so in. We're going to celebrate party. We're going to kill the phantom camp. And we're going to have a time of rejoicing. Amen. Amen. And we go. Wow. On the Father's Day. That's the picture of our Heavenly Father. Yes. And we prodigals seeing his grace seeing his mercy 
seeing his love for us. It's incomprehensible. It was incomprehensible for those that were listening to this account. They, it was scandalous that, that a God would not hold a person so that they had to grovel, so that they had to somehow work their way back into his graces, but rather that the father would go running to embrace one who certainly needed it, but never expected it. And the picture that Jesus tells in this story is a story of you and me. We have a tendency to look at the prodigal and the son and see the sin and go, boy, he sure got what he deserved when it came to the pig pen, didn't it? And he certainly got a lot of grace and mercy when he came back to the father. But really, he didn't deserve that. He should have had to pay his dues. He should have. And the father says, let's celebrate. We look at the sin. And the father looks at his salvation. On this Father's Day, I want us to point our hearts at our Heavenly Father in His grace and His mercy and His love and His compassion beyond understanding. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, how good it is to call you that. For we have taken this story and lived it. And we were all undeserving. And you have welcomed us in a shocking, surprising way. And you have offered up your son as a sacrifice for us so that we could celebrate with you and we give thanks in Jesus name Amen